Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. This podcast is the first hour of a two-hour message on emotional healing that I delivered at the Arizona Healing Rooms in Mesa, Arizona. Following the message, I demonstrated emotional healing on three volunteers from the audience. All three of the volunteers received significant emotional healing. One of them reported significant decrease in her level of back pain. This morning, we're going to have a continuation of what happened the last time I was here. You know what I'm talking about. So Tim was here last time. And he was standing next to me, and we got one person after another, after another, after another, took him through some emotional healing. And it was very powerful. I didn't really teach on that last time. It just kind of happened. Everybody who stood in front of me, the Holy Spirit said rejection. Not that he's rejecting them, that they struggle with rejection as an emotional wound. So the Holy Spirit had us pray for just about everybody that I laid hands on. We just took them through emotional healing of Uh, of rejection and other things. So I thought today I would talk a little bit about emotional healing. And I'm going to explain how I arrived at that process, how the Lord showed it to me, and what I've used it to do in the last couple of years. So if you're a healing room person, I know you know this, but God has a plan that involves healing. Jesus and the disciples went around, healed entire cities. Even in the Old Testament, Many people were healed and raised from the dead. Elijah laid on top of the body of a dead boy, and he was raised from the dead. When serpents came into the camp of the Israelites, the Lord told Moses, put a serpent on a pole. Anyone who looks at the serpent will be healed. So God has always been into healing. What many of us haven't quite figured out is that he is just as interested in emotional healing as he is in physical healing. The difficulty is, when you read through the Gospels, you don't see Jesus taking people through emotional healing. Or at least, you know, it doesn't appear obvious. You see he healed the blind, he healed the lame, he opened the ears of the deaf. But you don't see him doing emotional healing on people, so you kind of wonder, is this something we should be doing? Most of us are familiar with a verse in Isaiah chapter 53, Verse 5, that says, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Right? We all know that. How many of you know verse 4? The verse before it. See, in most healing programs, they don't teach you about verse 4 because they don't have a grid for it. They don't have a context. They don't know, what does verse 4 say? And how do we apply that? All right, so let me read verse 4 to you. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken and smitten of God. Okay, griefs and sorrows in verse 4. What are griefs and what are sorrows? Emotional wounds. So, 
When Jesus was beaten and crucified, he was not just beaten and crucified for our physical healing, he was crucified for our emotional healing. In the same way, physical healing is in the atonement, so is emotional healing. It's right there in Isaiah. It's in the same section of Scripture. How many of you are familiar with Isaiah 61? If you're a Pentecostal, charismatic Christian, Isaiah 61, the first like five verses, that is your go-to verse. Because we all feel like that is a personal calling for us. When Jesus walked into the temple and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, he opened it to chapter 61 and started reading. And he said, this is how you know, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He came to fulfill Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. What's the first thing mentioned in the anointing? To preach good tidings to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. Heal the brokenhearted. We can have broken hearts, and they can be healed. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. This may be true in a physical sense, but it is certainly true in a spiritual and emotional sense. If you start to deal with people who suffer multiple personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and you start praying with them, you start to learn They have what are called altars and fragments of their soul. Many times they are kept in prisons and dungeons in the spiritual world. Something that's not taught in church on Sunday, okay? But I'm just going to tell you it's real. In her book, Regions of Captivity, Anna Mendez Farrell does an amazing job of illustrating through the years and years of her ministry of helping people become healed of emotional wounds, she often deals with people who have parts of their soul that are kept in prisons and dungeons. Her ministry involves using angels and Jesus to free the parts of those personalities, bring them out of prison, and integrate them into the whole so they can be healed. Here in Isaiah 61, when it talks about proclaiming liberty to the captives, bringing them out of prisons, I believe it's talking about spiritual dungeons and prisons created in the spiritual world where parts of our soul are kept. I have a lot of friends who have dreams, and in the dreams, they're going into these prisons or they see themselves in a prison, in a dungeon, and they're being tortured and tormented by demons. What the Lord is saying through those dreams is, part of you has been taken captive by the enemy and you need to be set free. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Verse 3, to console those who mourn, to give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. They'll be called trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Get what the prophet is saying here. There is an exchange There is an exchange at the cross. Our mourning, our heaviness, our griefs, our anger, our disappointment, he paid for. He wants to give us joy, contentment, 
peace, freedom. He wants to take away our confusion and give us understanding. Everything that we suffer from, he wants to take away and give us something in return. He gives us joy and takes away our heaviness and sadness. There's an exchange. So emotional healing is all about an exchange. I'm giving you my sadness. Jesus, give me your peace. That's this whole process. That's all it is. Verse 7, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. What I often find in doing emotional healing with people is they suffer these emotions of like confusion. Like, why did this happen to me? Why did God allow this to happen? They're confused. And what the Lord will do is he'll literally take their confusion and give them understanding about why it happened. It is so powerful. When you start to walk this out, this emotional healing, you're going to be shocked if you, if you start doing this. It is going to change people's lives. There is emotional healing in the Bible. It's there. You have to look for it. In the same way that like when you're walking down the street, you can't see people's emotional wounds, but you can see their physical injuries. You can see them bent over walking with a walker. You can see the shoulder immobilizers. You can see the foot immobilizers. You can see the neck brace. You can usually see people's physical ailments externally, but you can't see their emotional wounds. In the scriptures, physical healing, you can see it all over the scriptures. If you want to find the emotional healing, you have to look for it. It's there, but you have to look for it. There have been a lot of very good emotional healing programs that have been developed over the last 10 years. I've studied most of them. We have the Sozo CDs that Bethel put out. We have the 12 DVD series that Elijah House put out called Healing Trauma. We have studied lie busters. We have studied restoring the foundations. I have several friends who have gone through and now teach theophostic healing. I have looked at most of the programs that are out there. There's many different programs for emotional healing that have been developed because it is such a huge problem. Churches have realized we need something that is going to deal with this. We need to get people healed of depression, bipolar, PTSD, schizophrenia. It's one thing to get people physically healed. It is another thing altogether to get them emotionally healed. And it's been, it's been a very tough road to figure out how to do this. But we have ways to do it. There's a huge problem, though, with these programs. And it was illustrated in the ambulance. When I'm transporting somebody who is suffering the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder or an acute psychotic episode or they're suicidal, I can't let them watch six DVDs in the ambulance. <laughs> I can't put them in a six-week program of Theophostic that's going to counsel them through getting healed. I have about 10 or 15 minutes. And what I was dealing with was, Lord, how can I do this in a 10 or 15-minute interaction with a patient in an ambulance? I don't have the time to go through this long process. There has to be a better way to do it. Here's the thing. All these programs are good, and if you have an opportunity, I would suggest taking them. Get the information, take the classes, learn what you can. That's what I did. You will pick up some valuable information from other people's classes, and you will go through emotional healing yourself. 
But for me, I had to find a way to distill all this information down and put it into a package that I could deliver to somebody in 10 minutes. I, I didn't have a choice. That was what I was given, is you have 10 minutes in the ambulance, you have to do something. I had to go through my own emotional healing process. And how the Lord did that was, I started having emotions triggered in my soul over and over and over again. And I could not at first figure out what was happening. Here's what it looked like. So I'm at work and I'm on on the ambulance and I'm working with a partner who had a tendency to push my buttons. He was a nice guy, but he pushed my buttons like nobody's business. Most of the time, he didn't even know he was doing it. He was just kind of unaware of what he was saying and doing, and it was just triggering anger in me. I would get so angry at the silliest little things. Day after day after day, I would come home to Denise. He's driving me crazy, honey. I just want to strangle him. This went on for a period of about three or four months. I would go to work. He would do something, and I would just almost lose it. I I was controlling myself. I wouldn't lash out at him, usually. Sometimes I would. Most of the time, I kept under control, but I could feel this anger just boiling inside of me, and it was seething, and and I would come home, and I would be venting at Denise. (laughs) I want to kill him. He's driving me crazy. I'm going to quit this job. I can't take this anymore. Need a new partner. All right, so here's what, what's going on. What I was not aware of is the fact that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is the one who is stirring up the anger in me. And now you're going to say, why would he do that? Because he wanted me to be aware that I had emotional wounds that needed to be healed. This is one of the things that I've learned after praying with a few hundred people over the last few years. If you are feeling stirred up emotionally, like the same emotion keeps surfacing and you can't quite figure out why. Why am I being triggered? Okay, being triggered is a a word that is commonly used. It simply means that that you're you're becoming aware of this emotional uh, event and it keeps coming up over again. When When you're triggered that thing, hap- uh, it hits you, and it starts to almost take over your personality. Let me give you an illustration of what this looks like. So I, I just gave you my story. I was talking on Facebook to a woman about being triggered and how it can cause you momentarily to almost act like a different person. If your wife or husband has ever said to you, why are you acting like a spoiled, snotty 14-year-old? All of a sudden, you went from being calm, cool, and rational to being this insolent, arrogant teenager. What happened? Why are you acting that way? If you've ever experienced that, you're, you've been witnessing someone who has been triggering. I was talking to a woman who has, she's got teenage boys and a husband, And they often go, they live up in, I think they live in Oregon. They go to the coast to go camping, Pacific Ocean. And she said, I started noticing this weird behavior in my husband. He's normally very laid back. 
he's cool, he doesn't get ruffled, everything's water off a duck's back, except when we go to the Oregon coast camping. As soon as we are in the mode where we're preparing to go on the camping trip, his personality changes. He turns into this disagreeable, angry person who is almost like a wounded 13-year-old boy. And he's like that the entire weekend until we get home. And then he goes back to normal. That's triggering. His personality momentarily turns into somebody else, Jekyll and Hyde. And if you have dated or been married to someone who has that Jekyll and Hyde personality, you have a person who's got what, what I'll tell you what's happening. I'll explain what, what happened to this woman. I said, well, what more than likely what happened with your husband is he had an event when he was a teenager around the age of 13 where he went to the coast and something happened to him while he was there. He either got sexually molested or he got abused. Something happened to him that caused the formation of an altar, an alternate personality. So when you talk about altars and fragments, an altar is an alternate personality. It is a part of your soul that essentially breaks apart from the main part of your soul and develops, you develop an alternate personality. Where that happens in the timeline of your life determines the behavior, the age, and the development of that alter, of that personality. Most alters are formed in people under the age of five or six years old, believe it or not, which is why you run into a lot of people who have, who have very infantile, childish behavior sometimes because they're triggering an alter that was formed when they were three years old and they had an emotionally traumatic event. And that three-year-old comes up and starts talking to you and acting like a child until the event is passed. So in this case, this gentleman more than likely had a traumatic event when he was a teenager associated with going to the coast and the rest of his life, whenever he gets in a situation similar to the one that caused the emotional trauma and the altar, how your personality deals with that is the altar comes up and takes over your personality. You are now the wounded 13-year-old boy living in an adult body and trying to deal with all the people in your family and you don't know what to do. This is what it was used to be called multiple personality disorder. It's now called dissociative identity disorder. That's what it is. When you deal with somebody who has DID or multiple personalities, you're looking at, you're dealing with a person who has been wounded. They've created these alternate personalities and at different times they just trigger and they pop up. And that personality will take over for however long it takes. Sometimes that personality will be in charge for weeks until the crisis is gone and that personality goes down and the main core of their personality comes up and takes over. A fragment is like an altar, but there's a difference. An altar or an alternate personality can be as night and day different from your main personality as you can imagine. So I have a lot of Facebook friends who have suffered emotional trauma. Many of them have dissociative identity disorder. I have this one friend who's got her, she's got about 14 or 15 different altars. The core of her personality is a Christian. Her three main altars are all witches. You can be 
Let's say you're right-handed and you're a Christian. You can have an altar who is a different gender, a different belief system. You can have a left-handed altar. You can have an altar who is a pilot. You can have an altar who's a witch. You can have an altar who is a, an agnostic. You can have altars that are also believers. Many altars have the same essential belief system, but they have a different timeline of development from your main personality. So if you have an altar who is a seven-year-old boy, but he's a Christian, he knows Jesus and believes in Jesus, he probably won't have the relationship with Jesus that you have. doesn't have the same knowledge that you have. Altars are very complex. They live in a world inside of the spiritual world with all kinds of structures and cities and buildings and dungeons. And there is a completely invisible world that they live in. It is another world. And each one has its own place that they live in. They interact with angels and demons. They interact with Jesus. It's just this is how their life is. That's altars. Fragments are like altars, but a fragment does not have the same personality qualities that an altar does. A fragment is usually associated with uh, the memories of a traumatic event and the emotions, but they don't have a full-on personality. So if you trigger an altar, a different person will come up, and now you're talking to somebody else, a different personality. If you trigger a fragment, you're normally going to have an emotional outburst, but not a different personality. So the, the fragment is a small part, a wounded part of your soul that holds onto the memories of the event and the emotion involved with it. So when you are out at dinner and a waiter walks up and the waiter looks exactly like your brother who committed suicide three years ago and you suddenly break down crying because he reminded you of your brother who committed suicide. And you don't even, it's just uncontrollable. You just suddenly break down crying because the memory of your brother's suicide pops up and you just start crying. And you're having a little emotional meltdown there. And you compose yourself and then it goes on. Okay, more than likely what happens in those situations is you're triggering a fragment, not an altar. A fragment brings up the emotions and the memory of the event and after a while, it goes back down. Tim, when we, were, when we were praying with people two months ago, what was happening is, and my process that I use is really simple, but all of this stuff is going on in the background that nobody ever sees. This is, all, this is what we're dealing with when we're doing that emotional healing prayer. What I do in my process of healing is, I am trying to get an altar or a fragment to come up so that I can introduce them to Jesus and Jesus can heal them. That's what this process does. You will not know that intuitively. It doesn't look like that's what's happening, but that is what's happening. The reason why I have people recall the memory of the event is I want the altar or fragment to come up. I'm trying to trigger them. So here's the double-edged sword. If you trigger somebody and you have an altar come up, if that altar is suicidal, now you have a suicidal person on your hands. A lot of people who are into cutting 
and a lot of people who suffer suicidal thoughts. You'll see this Jekyll and Hyde thing where one day they're doing great. They might be great for a week, no suicidal thoughts. And then one day, boom, they all of a sudden are thinking of killing themselves and they're cutting and they're acting irrational. When people are dealing with suicidal thoughts, many times what's happening is either an altar or fragment is being triggered, it's coming up. If you can get the altar or the fragment healed and integrated back into the core, those suicidal thoughts go away. The goal that we're moving toward is getting the wounded parts of the soul healed and integrated by Jesus so that they stop triggering, coming up and causing all kinds of chaos in your life. I'm going to share a little bit of testimony. Judy, two months ago. Okay, so she was in line. I'm just going to use your example because a lot of people saw it. Judy is kind of typical of what can happen in one of these events. Several people actually, when I was praying with them, said, no, I'm good, I'm okay. (laughs) Like, Like, what was the worst thing to happen to you? Well, you know, I got fired from my job. Well, how did you feel about that? Oh, it devastated me, but I'm great now. I'm okay. I'm good. Like, no, 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 no. Hang on. Wait a minute. Let's go back and let's talk about this. So someone will tend to minimize the emotional trauma that's, that, of an event that, because they're feeling okay now, like something better happened. Like I got, I got divorced. It was devastating, but I'm good now. I got a better husband, better wife. Everything's good. Like, no, no, no. Hang on. You were devastated at the time. So let's go through that. And if you go back to that event and have them start telling you about it, they can turn into a shaking, convulsing, crying wreck. (laughs) Even though now they feel okay, if you bring up that altar or that fragment, you can have somebody who just turns into a crying puddle on the floor. Just to be aware of that. Some people get very emotional. Other people are very stoic. And they're still going through the emotions, but there's not a lot of crying and emotions. You never can tell how people are going to react until you are in the process and then you find out. David, is the person themselves, when their altar comes out, are they aware no. of what the altar is doing? No. So let me give you a, a look under the hood from the backside of what this looks like. Okay, when a fragment is triggered, a fragment is a small wounded part of the soul. If an emotional event comes that triggers a fragment, the person will usually have some kind of strong emotional reaction that lasts a short while and then it goes away. They remain in control of their faculties. They're aware of what's going on and they know what's happening. They can hear things. When an altar comes up and takes over, people who have dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, what they describe it as, it's almost like you are being put in the back seat of a car. Somebody else is taking over driving and many times you're not even aware of what's happening. So when a person who has an altar take over, they will be completely unaware of what they're saying, what they're doing, and what's happening. They will not know how long they've been gone. Usually when they surface again and their core of their personality comes up, first thing they want to know is how long was I gone? Because they don't know. They're they're kind of in the spiritual world And in the spiritual world, you lose track of time. So these people often want to know, how long was I gone? And what happened while I was gone? Because they have no memory. Now, the reason why courts will exonerate people guilty of crimes on the reason of temporary insanity 
is because if you have multiple personalities and one of your alters comes up and you go and commit a crime and that alter goes back down, you can literally have no awareness that it ever happened, no control over it, no ability to stop it, and no memory of it. Because when an altar comes up, your core of your personality is down somewhere in the spiritual world and is completely unaware of what your body is doing. Most, most altars and fragments are demonized. That is how the demons get access to us. They don't necessarily torment the core of our personality. They torment the wounded parts of our soul. Jesus is intimately involved in these events much more than anyone suspects. Most of the people who have altars, the altars are aware of who Jesus is. Most of the times they've met him, some of them don't like him, and some of them do. One of the things about dealing with altars and fragments is introducing them to Jesus and telling them who Jesus really is. Let me tell you about my emotional healing. I had been triggering anger. Little events popping up on my little radar, little things that happening at work, I was just getting angry, boom, boom, boom. I had an altar or two and a bunch of fragments that were being triggered in relation to anger. So after getting sick of this stuff happening, <laughs> I have a bunch of friends who are really good at emotional healing. Uh, Steve Harmon is one of them. Matt Evans, another buddy of mine, lives up in Washington. He's been doing emotional healing. He's studied a lot, all these programs. We've all studied this stuff together. We practice together. We pray for each other. We do ministry with each other as a group. And so I called up Matt and I said, Matt, dude, I need some help. Uh, I'm just triggering like crazy. And he's like, cool, let's go through some emotional healing. So Matt and I talked on the phone for about two hours. And he took me back and I knew what it was in relation to. This has been eating my lunch for years. And it all goes back to my teenage years when my older brothers would beat me up. I had three older brothers, and I got my butt kicked every day as a teenager. Every single day I came home from school, my older brother pounding on me day after day after day. Most of my anger that I was feeling was in regards to some fragments and altars that were formed when I was a teenager being beat up by my older brothers. And I knew that. So Matt took me through the process, brought up the altars, brought up the fragments, did some emotional healing prayer over that stuff, about two hours worth, like I said. And I'm telling you, after we were done, I felt so good. The anger was gone. For months afterwards, I remember very clearly, you could say anything you wanted to me, it wouldn't make me angry. I, I just wasn't triggering anymore. He got the altars and fragments integrated and healed, and that anger thing, completely gone. Just gone. Like, I, I became a much more even-keeled, emotionally stable person after Did that. Did you forgive yourself? I had to forgive myself, yes. Forgiveness is a, is a big part of the process. Okay. Yes. You have to forgive yourself, and you have to forgive the other people. Although, healing the emotional wounds in your soul is not about forgiveness. Physical healing can come through forgiveness. I've seen this many times. I'm going to talk about this in just a little bit, how forgiveness plays into this. But healing your own emotional wounds is totally unrelated to forgiveness. In fact, most of the time when I go through this process with people, we don't even mention forgiveness. It's not necessary. Forgiveness is relational. 
So we need to forgive others, and we need to forgive ourselves. But emotional healing is not relational. We need to allow Jesus to heal the broken parts of our soul. Okay? We need to give him permission and let him do it. And it doesn't really involve forgiveness. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. After Matt took me through my process of emotional healing, the very next day, I'm on the ambulance. We go to Tempe St. Luke's Hospital, and I'm going to transport a woman who was suicidal. So we get there about a half hour before we're supposed to transport her, and the nurse hands me her paperwork, and I'm reading through the mental health workup by the social worker. Suicidal, depressed, sexually abused as a teenager, multiple suicide attempts, multiple angry outbursts, tried to push her husband in front of a transit bus, which is why she came into the ER. She got so angry at him, she tried to shove him in front of a transit bus to get him run over. The incident before that where she came into the hospital, she punched a hole through the sheetrock in their apartment. She got so angry at him. So what I was seeing is a person who's triggering anger over and over again. Same thing that happened to me. And I was like, aha, I know what's going on here. And I just got healed of anger, right? So I knew I could get her healed. I have a, about a 20-minute transport. She's going to a mental health facility. And I'm in the ambulance with her. And I'm like, this is going to be so cool. I know she's going to get healed. I just know it. So I shared my testimony of how I got healed of anger the previous day. That was like the first 10 minutes of the trip. So now I have 10 minutes left to get her healed. And I said, I read the social worker report, and I know that you've been abused when you were a, t- a teenager. And I know that you've had multiple suicide attempts. and know that you're dealing with anger. And I said, when you think about that guy that raped you, what emotion do you feel? And she said, I don't want to kill him. I just want him to die. And I was like, okay, so let's get healed of that. I basically said, okay, I want to pray with you, and I know that the Lord will heal you if you let me go through this process with you. So I said, here's what I want you to do. Just repeat after me. It's real simple. Jesus, I ask you to take this feeling of anger from me. And she said that. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. She said that. I receive your healing. And she said that. And I said, okay, Now, there you are, you're a teenager, and this guy has raped you. How do you feel now? She said, I don't feel anything. No anger, no shame, nothing. She said, I actually feel a peace about it. It literally took two minutes for that to happen. And that was it. All of the anger, everything from that event, completely healed. Jesus, I ask you to take my anger from me. I'm giving it to you. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. It's that simple. Boom, like that. She could not believe it. She's like, are you kidding me? She's like, where is the anger? I said, it's gone. Jesus healed you. And here's the thing. I've worked with a lot of people now over the last two, three years. It never comes back. It's permanent. If you are a healing rooms person, you know how big this is. Because you know, I prayed for that person with back pain, and they got healed, and three days later, the back pain was back. 
What happened? They lost their healing or whatever. We all know that happens, right? I've had it happen to me. Denise has had it happen to her. All right, it comes back. What happened? When you are praying for somebody to be physically healed, you guys know what the ingredients are. Your faith, releasing the power of the Holy Spirit, and exercising your authority as a believer, right? So it's power and it's authority and it's faith. Those are the three things that we need to get people physically healed. Jesus gave us authority. Holy Spirit is the power. And we have to have faith, okay? If your faith is off, that person's not going to get healed. A a lot of times, right? Right. If you're in doubt and unbelief, you're you're shaking the dice. Maybe it's going to happen, maybe it's not, right? We all know that. If you've done this, you know there's not 100% guarantee. Here's the thing with emotional healing. It has nothing to do with faith. It has nothing to do with power. It has nothing to do with authority. It is, I am introducing you to Jesus. He wants to heal you. He wants to take that wound, heal it, and take away the emotions. It's all Jesus. I sit back, I ask them some questions, and he does all the work, which is why it never comes back. Because once those altars and fragments are healed and integrated, they're healed and integrated. There is no more issue. There is no more that's going to come back tomorrow or next week. It doesn't come back ever. I have followed up with people months later after I've worked with them, and those emotions have never come back. They don't ever come back. And, and here's the thing. I've probably used this process on, oh gosh, well over 200, 250, 300 people over the last three years. I've only run into about... Four people that it didn't work on. And the reason it didn't work is the same with every single person. I could not get them to engage in the process of actually giving their emotions over to Jesus. They wouldn't do it. I had a friend who came over to our house. She needed emotional healing. We sat on the couch with her, me and Denise, for two hours and tried to get her to identify the emotions, identify the events, give the emotions to Jesus, and all she could talk about how it was the other person's fault and the other person's problem. They're the one who needs to be here, not me. They're the one who's really messed up. I'm okay. You should have them over here. I could not get this woman to engage the process. I couldn't. She wouldn't do it. For two hours, I sat there. Look, all you need to do is just come up with the... You're angry with her. I get it. I know that... I know she hasn't forgiven. She hasn't repented. I know that. That doesn't matter. I want to get you healed. No, but you don't understand. She's really messed up. She's so controlling. She's so manipulating. She's the one that really needs a healing. And I'm like, okay, okay, I understand that. But she's not here. You are. Let's get you healed. She would not engage the process. And those are the only people who I've worked with who we could not get them healed. Because if you simply engage and go, okay, here's the event. I remember it. Right now, this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling whatever. Give it to Jesus. Ask him to heal the wound. It works every single time 100%. Without any failure, it will work. If you can simply get the person to agree to go through it, it always works. I've never had it not work. Many people have amnesia of their childhood events. It's a protective mechanism. 
the whole formation of altars and fragments, it's a protective mechanism. If the Holy Spirit did not allow that part of you to be compartmentalized and allow those emotions to be compartmentalized and to, for them to lie in your subconscious, your entire life would be ruled by the angry, painful, wounded emotions that you've suffered through your whole life. So the Holy Spirit allows the memories and the, tr- the events to remain more or less subdued in your, in your soul. Some people, the trauma is so bad, they have complete amnesia of most of the events or a lot of their childhood. And that's okay. The Holy Spirit sometimes gives people amnesia because he doesn't want them dwelling on that stuff the rest of their life until they're healed. So I had a friend we worked with. She had terrible feelings and emotions from an event when she was a two-year-old girl, but she could not remember what the event was. She just didn't, didn't remember it. During the prayer process, she suddenly saw a vision of herself being sexually molested by her dad when she was two. The Holy Spirit brought to her memory what the event was. She got healed like that. All the horror, the terror, the shame, the guilt, completely gone. Sometimes during the healing process, you can just ask the Holy Spirit if it's necessary for them to remember the event, Holy Spirit, show them what it was. And they'll see it in their mind or they'll have a sudden memory. A lot of times, though, it's not necessary for a person to remember the event to be healed. Sometimes they will still have no memory of the event. They can feel the emotion. They feel anger. They feel shame or guilt or anxiety but they don't know what it's associated with. In those cases, if they can't remember the event, it doesn't matter. What you need, they just need to tell you what the emotion is. I feel angry. I feel shame. I feel conde- condemnation. Give it to Jesus. Let him heal the emotion. And, and then the, the thing is, it's, it's really healing the emotions, not healing the events. The event is just a memory. Whether you remember it or not doesn't really matter. If it, like I said, if it's necessary, the Holy Spirit can remind you. This is a process. It's a learning process. I will, I'll just tell you. I'll give you the basics of how this works. But as you practice it, you're going to learn more stuff. You're going to, after you've like seen people, 20 or 30 people heal this way, you're going to start seeing patterns, and you're going to start, the process will get quicker, and you'll start to anticipate what people are going to say. And the process just gets so much easier after you've done it, like, even four or five times. This is a process for emotional healing. You can be at Starbucks, hanging out with somebody. You have five minutes to either get them healed or go on your way. And you can use this in five minutes to get somebody healed. In the same way you can pray for somebody who has neck pain or back pain in five minutes, you can take them through emotional healing in five minutes. This does not take a lot of time. And I use it all the time now. It's just another tool in the tool belt. It's a very powerful tool in the tool belt. It will change people's lives. You can learn it in a few minutes. And, and here's the cool thing. Once you take somebody through emotional healing, if you spend 15 or 20 minutes and go after two or three different events in their life, I just usually ask people, what is the most painful memory in your life? Start there. They tell you about the event. You get them healed of the emotional trauma. 
You say, what's the next painful memory? It's usually death of a father, death of a mother, divorce, lost my job, somebody betrayed me, somebody sexually abused me. Those are the, there's like five or six things that are usually the most painful event for most people. Take them through the first two or three most painful memories of their life. And then you can tell them, do you see the process I'm using here? Ask Jesus to remove the emotion. Ask him to heal the wound in your soul. Say, I receive your healing. Now, here's the thing I do want to tell you. If you have had multiple events over your lifetime that caused emotional trauma and made you feel anger, you can be angry about the fact that your older brothers beat you up every day. And then you can be angry at your ex-fire chief who ruined your career and fired you. And then you can be angry at somebody else. It's not to say that when you get healed of one emotional event, you're never going to feel that emotion again because many of us have the same emotions over multiple events. The divorce. My father died. I lost my job. Somebody else got hired. The church leaders stabbed me in the back. Whatever it is, all those events, you need to eventually go through your life. If you you want to walk in freedom and peace, you need to go through those events and get each one of them healed. David, how far do you push that man to keep remembering what's hurt him? Until he says, I feel peace, or, wow, I don't really feel anything. I feel a sense of, like, I'm sorry for the person that did this to me. I've had many times, you'll know, the person says, you know, I don't, what I feel is I feel sorry for the person who did this to me because they're so messed up. I don't feel wounded anymore. I feel like I'm sorry for them. I will keep going as long as they're able to and keep going one after another. I have a friend on Facebook. She has suffered some sick, depraved e- emotional trauma. So I was, I was working with her, and I, I thought I would never get to the end of it. She would recall this memory. She would have anger, and she'd get healed of that, and I would, we'd bring it up again, and then she would say, I feel terrified when I think about this. We'd get her healed of that. We'd think about it again, this time she would feel shame. We get her healed of it. And, and in between, she is pulling out tissues and sobbing hysterically and weeping and going through the emotions. And for each event, it took me about a half hour with each event. She was so traumatized. This is a woman who has pretty severe trauma, not garden variety. My dad kicked me around when I was a kid or you know, my husband was mean to me. This, this was stuff that happened all throughout her childhood for many, many years. Here's something you need to know about. For some people, you can uh, talk about one event and they'll say, I feel shame, I feel anger, I feel loss, I feel confusion. And you can literally pray with them one time and all the emotions are healed. Or they may say, I only have one emotion. I'm only feeling guilt. I'm only feeling shame. And you can pray with them, and that gets healed. And then you go back to it the next time, and they feel nothing. They feel complete peace. So for some people, one trip through heals everything. For other people, you'll have to go back over and over and over and over and over one emotion at a time. I suspect it's because some types of trauma create multiple fragments and you have to get each of them healed and some kinds of trauma only cause one fragment 
And once you get that one healed, they remember the event and there's no more pain or no more emotional component. You will never know going into it whether it's going to be three minutes or 20 minutes. Typically, it tends to be a couple of rounds and everything's healed. Three or four rounds most. Sometimes with some people, it's just one. Everybody's different. So just be aware of that, that it can take a little bit longer with some people. Optional steps. If somebody is feeling shame, ask Jesus to give you honor instead of shame. If you're feeling angry, ask Jesus to give you peace instead of anger. If you're feeling confusion, ask him to give you understanding. Because in Isaiah 61, it says, he gives you joy from mourning. He takes your mourning, he gives you joy. If he is taking away a negative emotion, he can give you something positive. And he will do it many times. I've seen people filled with peace, filled with joy, 10 seconds after they were filled with anger or sadness. So that is something you can do. If the emotion is sinful, you may ask the person, just say, look, confess it as sin and say, Jesus, I know that your blood takes away the punishment for my sin. If it's anger, if it's something that's obviously sinful, it can help. The reason is, sometimes people have physical pain in their body that is related to hanging on to anger. I worked with this woman. She'd been in four car accidents. She had horrible neck and back pain, assumed it was all in relation to the car accidents. Took her through the emotional healing process. Anger towards her ex-husband, anger towards her dad, abusive relationships. We got her healed of all the anger, and boom, all of her back pain was completely healed. But the anger was actually allowing that pain to stay there. Once she repented of the anger and forgave those people, her physical healing manifested. Sinful emotions can be an issue. If, if you feel like something's coming up that they have a physical symptom they can't get healed of, just have them confess the sin and then go on through it. And a lot of times, just a simple prayer, they'll get them physically healed. A, a lot of us would like to believe that we have a right to be angry at that person who wounded us. And we don't have to forgive them because they never apologized. You have that stubborn little part of your soul that says, I'm not going to forgive them and I'm not going to let go of this and I have a right to be angry and they shouldn't have done this and they should have known better. And as long as your will is, to, is agreeing with all of those lies, that's the stumbling block to getting healed. You have to realize you do not have a right to be angry. You do not have a right to feel wounded and you do not have a right to hate yourself. Self-hatred is big. God loves every one of us. He does not hate us. We do not have a right to hate ourselves. One of the first things most of us need to repent of is self-hatred because we have an attitude that does not line up with what God sees us. God loves us. He adores us and he values us and we don't value ourselves many times. We, I work with people and what do you feel? I feel like I hate myself for allowing that to happen. You allowed it to happen and now you hate yourself for allowing it to happen. I should have known better. Well, forgive yourself and get over it. When you walk around and see people that are suicidal and depressed and addicted to drugs and painkillers, this can heal them. It is so powerful. Now, here's, I'm going to give you one caveat. This is not a cure-all. For people who have severe dissociative identity disorder and lots of alters, this process alone is probably not going to work. In conjunction with some other stuff that's much more advanced, over time, you can get people healed of those severe multiple personality disorders. 
I'm just letting you know. If you have somebody who is really, really severe traumatized, they've been through satanic ritual abuse and they've got dozens of altars, you are not going to get them healed in 10 minutes using this. It's going to take you weeks, months, or possibly years to get them healed. People who've been through ritual abuse are the most difficult people to get healed. My buddy Steve Harmon has been dealing with those people for years. It is a long road to get those people healed. And he's got tools way more powerful than I'm using, and he has troubles getting some of them healed. Because the altars, many times, will not cooperate with the process. That's the big problem. If you get somebody who will not cooperate with the process, they don't like Jesus, they're not going to talk to Jesus, you're not going to get them healed. That's, that's the issue you run into with people who have severe trauma. They don't want to be healed. Really, I would, I would start putting this into practice right away and do it with yourself first. When you start seeing this process in action with other people, your own altars and fragments are going to be triggered and they're going to start coming up and you are going to start having emotional reactions, which is why it's good to get healed of those things sooner rather than later. Because if you're being an emotional wreck while you're trying to get somebody healed, it's going to turn into a mess. It is. Thank you. If you struggle with emotional wounds from your past, go one year at a time through your past, starting at this year if you want, and go to the next last year in 2014 and 2013. In your quiet time, in your prayer time with the Lord, just have him bring up memories of things where people wounded you, hurt you, betrayed you, whatever, and get those wounds healed. Year after year, go back. What you're going to find if you do this, you are going to be walking in so much freedom. You are not going to get sick anymore. Mike Parsons, who is a guy who we follow his teachings, Mike has gone through every year of his life, and he has worked with the Holy Spirit on getting healed of all the junk. Mike does not get sick anymore at all. That's how you live in divine health. You allow the Lord to heal all the stuff that has happened to you over your lifetime. So I wrote a book, Emotional Healing in Three Easy Steps. I wrote this little ebook. You can read it in 10 minutes. The first review that that book had on Amazon when I published it was a testimony from a guy who used the process on himself. He had really bad hip pain. He was an elderly guy. Could not walk without crutches. Started using this process every day.